The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. John Gibbons is with us for our weekly Environment Spot and today writing in the Irish Examiner he came to the defence of President Michael D. Higgins who made a speech last Friday in which he attacked the economics profession uh, said it's basically obsessed with everything been gross which he says is not sustainable uh, attacked its environmental credentials also had a lot of criticism of the way that the uh, topic is thought in our universities uh, Why are you defending him? Uh, good evening, Matt. I think you made some some very uh, self-evident points, the best way I'd put it. Um, basically, I guess the way we're set up right now, I'll give you an example. Organisations, state organisations like the SRI, all their economic models are basically pre-loaded with assumptions. And those assumptions in the case of the SRI and other similar organisations is they basically, they, they plug in a 3% annual growth rate forever. Now, 3% to your listeners may not sound like a, like a huge amount, but every, that basically means that whatever you're doing, say your economy, on a 3% growth rate trajectory, you basically double your economy in 23 years. So there's this underlying assumption that growth and growth... Have you not fo- noticed the way the economy has been growing over the last decade? Sure, but this growth... Often by way in excess of 3%. Yeah, I guess Michael D's comments as well were... were at the global level, this idea that we can simply continue to grow more of the activities, the consumption, the, the economic expansion and the impacts that are piling up from that. If you look back at decades of data, you will see that overall that is what is happening. And there is no reason to believe that it won't continue to happen. Well, I, I would have to differ there. I think that our problem really, Matt, is that we're coming smack up against the limits to growth. So, for example, the, the, the Stockholm Institute, uh, this basically does an analysis of the, the nine planetary boundaries. Now, of those nine, and these are the boundaries within which, if you like, human life and other life depends. Of those nine, the, the Institute calculates that right now, human actions have pushed us beyond the safe limit for five of those nine now, we, we've, we've talked about this many times over on this show uh, as we're, for example, the human impacts are ratcheting up the global temperature. We've seen already we, we're now outside of the temperature range that has existed over the last uh, basically eight to 10,000 years. And all of this is because of untrammeled economic growth. And I suppose my uh, specific uh, observation here and the reason why I think this is so dangerous when it comes to climate, Matt, is that the, there's a sort of a sub-cadre of climate economists. Now, the most famous of those is a, is a chap called uh, William Nordhaus. He's the kind, they call him the, the father of climate economics. Now, he won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2018. And during his speech uh, in Sweden, picking up his prize, he, he, he dropped an absolute bomb. What he said basically is that the optimal temperature rise in the 21st century, by which he meant the one that would not cost too much to economies and not do too much damage, four degrees centigrade. Now, as you know, the Intergovernmental Panel of Actual Scientists says that beyond 1.5 degrees and particularly beyond two degrees, our goose is cooked. Now, specifically, at two degrees, we lose the West Antarctic ice shelf. That begets a three-metre sea level rise. Yet, for some reason, climate economists seem to think that this is fine. Well, hold on a second. Michael D. Higgins, our president's attack, was on economics in general, right? And is it not also the case that 
economic growth actually is often led by technological development and that technological development will provide defences against what's happening to our environment as well. And that if we don't have that growth, if we do not have economic growth creating more money to deal with things, we'd be banjaxed even further. Yeah, I suppose it depends at what rate you want to be banjaxed. Right. If we continue as we are on the current trajectory, we simply rip through the, the world's remaining physical resources. And let me, let me be specific about this, Matt. Right. So from 1970 to 2020, the last 50 years, right, we've seen a 69% decline in the total number of animals, of wild animals in the world. 69% in 50 years. That's not the economist's fault. Uh, well, what the. The fault that is, is a system of thinking that believes that one species and its support animals can wipe out all the other species, sequester the land that they depend on, flatten the forests where they live, convert all of that into stuff and then, Matt, stick a label on that stuff called GDP. There's a famous quote, in fact, from, from a 20th century economist who said that anyone who thinks that uh, infinite economic growth is possible on a finite planet is either a madman or an economist. And the notion that this has been embedded inside economic thought, that we can just continue to do this over and over again, this is only possible, so Matt. You as want, long you want economic reverse, so do you? What we want is a steady state economics. Hold on, no, hold on. What do you mean by steady state? A steady growth? state. Uh, let me give you an example of, of growth, right? We're all, we're all basically start out as a lump of cells. We grow rapidly. In fact, we grow exponentially, right? All the way through our early childhood, through puberty. Then we hit this thing called adulthood. At that point, Matt, we stop growing. Now, our girths may continue to grow, but that's a separate issue. We stop growing because we've reached what's called our equilibrium state or our steady state. Economies should be like that too. We cannot continue to gigantic giganticize our economy. The problem is it's eating the world. It is consuming the world. 8 billion humans, 80 to 100 okay, but billion John, animals. If economies go into reverse, we see what we saw what happened during the Great Recession after 2008. We saw how living standards declined for very many Irish people. And the way that we've actually managed to reverse that has been through economic growth. Economic growth has provided the tax revenues. Now, you can argue that they haven't been spent well enough, but the reality is we have more people back in jobs than we've ever had in this country and have more people who are able to look after themselves financially. So does that not imply that the growth that we've enjoyed over the last decade has been good for this country? If you take a very, very narrow focus and say, right, Ireland, just Ireland, as if we exist in as an island, if you like, alone in the world. I could argue that you're correct. The problem is, Ireland, we're a totally hyper-globalised society. We're connected to the rest of the world. And what we're seeing is the, the rapid breakdown of systems, Matt. Climate systems, food systems, these are breaking down. Ireland cannot, we cannot just simply, you know, shove uh, foreign direct investment uh, tax into our pocket and say we're all right. We're, we're dependent on other parts of the world where we trade with, where we, where we import our food from to continue to function. And for example, uh, last summer we saw many parts of Europe uh, becoming too hot to produce food. And you might say, well, that's fine, Matt. We'll just get it from somewhere else. What happens as different parts of our global food bas uh, bread baskets begin to fail. It's at that point that you ask the question, unless we have a sustainable economic, social paradigm, unless we have figured out a way to live in the world 
like as if we belong here. At the moment, we're behaving as if we're sort of interlopers who've crashed the party, we're spending up everything, we're dumping out our, our waste as fast as we can. The pollution from humans, we've talked about it many times, whether it's plastic pollution, whether it's the emissions from our, uh, our industries, they're pouring into the atmosphere and we're essentially, if you like, we're fouling our own nest. Okay, Matt. but John... Stephen Kinsler, for example, uh, the professor of economics at UL, said this week that he had offered to spend time with, Prof- with President Michael D. Higgins to talk about economics with him, to tell him about the modern teaching of economics, which Michael D. Higgins didn't want to do. Who was Michael D. Higgins to be critiquing what goes on in economics when he's not an economist himself? He's a sociologist and a political scientist. And... I'd also suggest, having done a little bit of sociology, a little bit of economics, more economics during my time in college, you know, economics is probably more based on data crunching and verifiable facts, whereas sociology might be a little bit more opinion based. And let's also face it, is a Michael D. Higgins himself as he's entitled to, riddled with his own biases, that he has his own political viewpoints. And just because many economists don't agree with them doesn't mean that he is in a position to dismiss them. Sure, I guess he's also entitled to his own opinion and bless him. Right, he, he's our national treasure who expresses his opinions. National treasure? He's an elected president. Let's not <laughs> exaggerate as if he's some sort of God-given monarch or something like not, that. No, not a monarch. I think he's, he has run through the gauntlet of election, Matt, not once, in fact, but twice. So unlike uh, any of the economists you've mentioned so far, he actually has a massive electoral mandate. So has he got a right to speak up on issues? Uh, I believe he has. In fact, as I said, he has an electoral mandate that none of his critics can, can, can offer. And if I can throw the gauntlet out, to his many critics, right? I asked in the Examiner article today, I said if many of the economists whose noses have been put out of joint by Michael D's uh, comments, I would like them to come forward and show somewhere on the public record where they have recognised the absurdity of William Nordhaus and his, his climate economics. If they haven't done that, Matt, well then... I'm not quite sure this what This story of... broke in the Business Post last Sunday, which you write for on a regular basis, and I do as well. And let me give you some of the quotes from some of the economists contacted by the Business Post. Seamus Coffey in UCC said, As President Higgins has shown no interest in engaging with how economics is actually thought, I see no point in engaging what he has to say in the matter. Jim Power said, Give us a decade of zero growth and see how that works out. And Barra Rountree of, Rountree of the ESRI, who you criticised earlier, said, If you're under interested in understanding the world and the trade-offs we face in tackling some of the biggest challenges like climate change, development and inequality. There's no better subject to study than economics. Don't be put off by the president's uninformed spiel. Would he not be well advised, if he is going to be criticising them, to actually go and have a few tutorials from Stephen Kinsler and other economists and then argue the toss with them? Well, it's certainly an interesting point uh, and it also underlines my opening line from that same article today and it, and it, it began, hell hath no fury like an economist They're scorned. entitled to respond and as Stephen but, Kinsler said the President is critiquing an economics that existed in the 1970s before I was born. Could it be that based on his own biases as a sociologist and as a political scientist from the 20th century that he hasn't caught up? 
you know what? I would love to believe that that's the case. And if, for example, that paradigm of endless economic growth was was no longer baked into our modelling, including by organisations like the SRI and by our universities, Matt, then I'd be saying to you, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Michael D needs to go back to school, and and uh, his critics, you know, are right. The problem is. The grow at all costs, grow forever model is exactly there. And I I repeat this, none of these folks are able to explain to anybody's satisfaction how we continue to have economic growth in a world that basically is on fire. John Givens, thank you. See you next week. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.